What's up? This is Makad Brooks. I'm playing James the Bridge Olsen. That's right. And you are listening to Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio. Super, 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 super Girl Radio. Callista Flockhart talks about Cat Grant. Nina Tassler explains crossovers. And we discuss the new 52. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's upcoming Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. And my name is Rebecca Johnson. In this episode, we're going to discuss the first volume of Supergirl in the New 52 called Last Daughter of Krypton. But before we get to our discussion, we have... The News. ComicBookResources.com recently spoke with Callista Flockhart about her role of Cat Grant. And according to her, Cat Grant is, quote, not a bad guy and that she's uncompromising and hugely successful. Callista also said, I'm not sure that she became hugely successful by being sweet all the time, <laughs> but I think that at her core, I think she's good. Um, she talks a lot about Cat uh, Grant's comic book history and how her son dies. And she was the alcoholic in one of the versions and uh, how she was married to a guy named Joe Morgan. Callista said that that was a new discovery for her. But she said, quote, she's a really complicated, interesting character. I don't know what we'll do in this series, but all of that is great backstory for me as an actress. I was really impressed with Callista in this interview because I was like, wow, she has done her homework, it sounds like. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciated that about about this. And um, uh, it's interesting, too, though, that she, while she has done that research, she still doesn't, uh, apparently none of this is reflected yet in the series as she knows it. So whatever she's seen so far of the scripts or anything, um, you know, might not have anything to do with this yet. But uh but it's interesting that she's still using it as, like, actor fodder. Yeah, that's what I gather from actors is that they like to, if they don't know a backstory, they like to create one. So mm-hmm. uh, even if that backstory doesn't pan out in the, you know, the real script or the real show, whatever they're doing, they kind of like to have that in their back of their in the back of their mind. So I think it, it is going to be kind of interesting just to see, like, if she uses, like, if that will be visibly... Uh, seen through her performance. But I, I do appreciate that she has that knowledge of the character. And even if they don't use it, she at least values that part of what makes Cat Grant who she is. Totally. Andrew Kreisberg spoke with KSiteTV.com's Craig Byrne about Red Tornado and Lucy Lane. <laughs> when asked about how he plans on bringing Red Tornado to life, Kreisberg said that it'll be a male actor with a CG component quote, making the powers come to life, unquote. So that seems like that's a no on the Lois Lane theory uh, for Red Tornado that popped up during our last episode. (laughs) No. So so that's interesting to know about Red Tornado. And as far as Lucy Lane goes, Kreisberg said, quote, she had been in a relationship with James Olsen, and when he left Metropolis, he left her. And she's coming back to fight for her man. But what's really interesting about it, and one of the things we're very conscious of, and why we're so excited to get Jenna, is that we've seen shows where that, quote, other woman, unquote, comes and the audience so despises her. You don't even understand why the male actor would like her. And Jenna is so likable and so winning and so personable and is so kind to Kara that part of you is sort of rooting for Lucy, too. She also ultimately ends up defending Supergirl against General Lane. Ooh. (laughs) So Lucy's kind of a hero in her own right, unquote. Yeah, that's actually kind of, I I don't know why that would be so surprising to me, because Lucy Lane generally 
is is a good character. I just finished reading Gwenda Bond's Lois Lane Fallout, and Lucy and Lois kind of have this cute little sisterly relationship. So I, that shouldn't surprise me, but I guess because of the Superwoman thing, the Sterling Gates Superwoman, I've been kind of <laughs> expecting Lucy Lane to kind of grow into this vi- this villainous role. But I kind of like that she might start out being a likable character who defends Supergirl. I think that's pretty cool. Sterling Gates ruined it for everybody. Comic book (laughs) ruiner. (laughs) Um, Well, Supergirl is going to be featured in a guide to CBS's fall lineup called CBS Fall Preview. Um, It's scheduled to premiere on Monday, September 7th at 8.30 p.m. And it'll be hosted by Jane Lynch. Um, I did see that and I was excited that, uh, you know, Supergirl continues to be a big part of CBS's fall push. Which uh, which is heartening, um, you know. The more that they put out there, uh, the more confidence I feel like they have in the show, and that's great. Oh, for sure. And be sure to set your DVRs. I know I've got to do that because that's coming up. September seventh is not that far away. Not at all. Uh, well, it turns out that Supergirl will be crossing over with Arrow and the Flash this season, but not in the way you or I think. According to EW.com, CBS chairman Nina Tassler explained, quote, We have not had conversations about the crossovers, but we are doing crossover promotions, so we will see that with the promotion crossovers, but not in terms of the characters, unquote. So it sounds like on CBS, we could be seeing Flash and Arrow TV spots, while on the CW, we could be seeing them for Supergirl. But it sounds like they're, they're not planning on doing actual story crossovers yet. <laughs> well, I mean, and we've started to see that already, even in that uh, Variety cover, um, where we had Greg Berlanti on the cover of Variety with right. uh, Grant Gustin and Melissa Benoist. Um, so ob- it's clear that they're all in the same family. And I think, you know, they all know that. We all know that. Um, you know, whether the stories actually merge uh, on television is another story. But I kind of even if that didn't happen, I kind of feel like they're in the same family anyway, so it doesn't even matter. (laughs) I kind of just assume they're all related. Right. Um, Well, speaking of promotion, uh, the official Supergirl YouTube channel posted two new TV spots. Um, One is titled Standing Out, and the other one is called A Hero Will Rise. Um, And they focus on different aspects of of what the show is about and what the show uh, has to offer. So head on over to youtube.com slash Supergirl to check them out. Yeah, I really liked the standing out spot. I thought it was really well crafted as an editor. I was like, wow, that is something I wish I had put together. And also there is a really cool video in the Supergirl YouTube channel called Supergirl Begins Production that gives a little sneak peek into the behind the scenes action of the show. So definitely check that one out as well. The The Supergirl YouTube channel has kind of done a good job of kind of putting things out there and making sure that everybody can see those spots. Yeah, no, I love it. And I, you know, every little glimpse of, of action from the set is really, it makes me all giddy. <laughs> um, and there have also been some photos recently out there of like, uh, you know, Melissa on set on her phone, kind of sitting, <laughs> yeah, having right. phone conversations, and she's just like hanging out in her cape. And I'm like, ooh, that cape looks really heavy and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it must be hard to sit down. Yeah. I can imagine and how lo- she keeps that... Uh, you know, not wrinkled. Yeah. Well, and, and some of the pictures, like, it, it looks like it's kind of rubbery. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, it's it's like a light kind of, but it, it looks like it has a rubbery texture to it. So it's not cloth. It's something else. But, it, you know, well, it looks she, awesome. <laughs> she, they may have several different kinds of capes. I know, like, with the DC Extended Universe with Henry Cavill's cape, they have, like, an actual cape that he'll wear sometimes in the scenes where he's just, like, standing there. And then sometimes, like, for more action-y stuff where he's, like, flying or whatever, it's a, a, it's a CG thing. So right. he'll be, he'll be f- kind of on the wires without a cape, and then they'll add it in later. So I don't know if they have the budget to do that kind of thing on CBS, but um, maybe they have different capes for different kind of scenarios for her. Anyway, that's a whole thing. <laughs> and they probably do. That might have been her, like, extra strength utility cape. Yes. Um <laughs> But uh, in our last bit of news, uh, that one comes from Variety.com. Variety says that according to an organization called Listen First Media, CBS's Supergirl and Fox's Scream Queens are ahead of other freshman fall broadcast shows in terms of fan anticipation and engagement on social media platforms. 
Now, while that buzz is no guarantee that Supergirl will be a hit, the show has, quote, accumulated 15 and a half million engagements on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Tumblr, Wikipedia, and YouTube in the 90 days after CBS announced the superheroine show at the Upfronts in mid-May, end quote. And since the Upfronts for CBS, uh, the first look trailer has garnered, quote, 14.3 million engagements across Facebook and YouTube. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's and it's interesting to see, too, that uh, the two shows that have the most fan anticipation are these uh, kind of female led shows, Um, both of them having a glee connection, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Um, But it's it it is really interesting that like, uh, you know, I feel like I saw this great video um, out there and I might you know, link to it on our blog in the future. Uh, This YouTube vlogger who's a teenage girl um, goes on this really intelligent rant about how people always look down on teenage girls. And like whenever somebody says, oh, the convention was overrun with teenage girls, that's supposed to be like a bad thing. Right. But usually it's teenage girls that are steering the conversation. And whenever something becomes popular, it's generally because of teenage girls and their enthusiasm. So the fact that uh, you've got these two shows that are kind of geared toward girls and young women having all of this fan anticipation and making all of these numbers go up on social media and YouTube and everything. That's really cool and kind of not surprising. Yeah. And it's not surprising in terms of, I think we even talked about it maybe last time where I I think you mentioned how CBS has in, in the Supergirl TV series and all of the cast that's on the show, they've done a really good job of posting things on Twitter and Instagram and trying to get things out there so that we can share them and retweet them, those kinds of things. I mean, you see that, I mean, 15 million engagements on Facebook, that that me I that, that I think means people have been liking things, sharing mm-hmm. things, making comments, make writing comments. So I I think that's something that they've been making a, a big effort to do and it's it's shown to be a success. Definitely. And I love when uh when casts of shows get involved in that stuff, when they, they don't mind like having that kind of engagement with fans and the fact that they're doing it already is a great sign. I feel like it's going to be a lot of fun to like interact with them on Twitter and stuff as the show goes on. Oh, totally. And they're even making headlines through their Instagram uh, pictures. Like recently, Melissa Benoist had that great picture with her and the, the Super Girl Scouts Yes. Who, who met with President Obama earlier, <laughs> and now they got to meet Supergirl. So, it, you know, that one picture got shared and liked and retweeted, and then it made entertainmentweekly.com. So it's even getting to the point where it's making news. Yeah, totally. Um, well, that's it for this week's uh, Supergirl news. Um, and this week we're going to get into another comic discussion. Uh, Let's get right into our discussion of the trade paperback called Supergirl Volume 1, Last Daughter of Krypton. Uh, This is the, now we're getting into the introduction to Supergirl in the New 52. Um, The description from DCComics.com says, quote, Crash landing on a strange new planet, Supergirl must come to grips with Krypton's destruction and learn about her own past. But an ingenious foe wants the same information and will do anything to get it. So, yeah, I mean, let's uh, we're kind of moving forward in the Supergirl timeline as we get closer to the show. Um, Rebecca, what did you think about the uh, the new 52's introduction to Kara zor to be honest, I didn't much care for it. Um, <laughs> and and that's trying to be really nice about it. Um, I mean, there were some things that I liked, but overall, I um, I really couldn't connect with this version of Kara. It took me a long time into the book to feel connected to her. And mm. I think part of it was because maybe I liked the Jeff Loeb introduction of Supergirl more and I think I, in my mind, I was I was continually comparing it to that because, like at, at the beginning of this book, we see Kara. You know, we see the the bit of her crashing onto Earth, and then she's um, kind of trying to figure out where she is, and she gets uh, approached by these you know guys in these kind of like robotic suits, and so she doesn't know what to do, and she's kind of fighting with them and discovering her powers, and just just kind of right off the bat, I felt like she was really violent. 
And mm. um, and with the Jeff Loeb version, I think I liked that more because while she came to Earth and she kind of didn't know where she was and she was lost and she couldn't figure out her powers, she at least was a little more sympathetic to me. Like she didn't want to hurt anybody and she didn't know what was going on. But I felt like this this Kara in the, the New 52, she was like going on. Well, I guess it was more defensive because those guys were kind of attacking her. But at the same time, I, th- I thought she was more violent, and it took a really long time for me. To, I don't think it was until there's a bit in the later on in the book where this guy she kind of connects with gets killed in front of her, and she feels a little bad about it. And I, I think that was like the first time I kind of connected with this version. But yeah, I just I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was more of her aggressive nature. Um, and maybe the f- the fact that she really couldn't connect with anybody in terms of language, she was doing a lot of monologuing, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of inner monologue, and she couldn't like t- like <laughs> I hate to go keep going back to this, but with the Jeff Loeb version, he d- he made a really smart choice to when she gets in touch with Superman, she sees him as a Kryptonian, but then she also learns English, and so she can talk to other people. Well, where in this book. She is mostly only able to speak people who know that Kryptonian language, which Rain does a little bit later on in the book. But I was just like, ah, she's just inner monologuing this whole time. So that was kind of tough for me to kind of just get connected with her. Ah, see, I and I knew we uh, we kind of disagreed on this book. Um, I actually really loved this portrayal of her. Um and it's interesting that you talk about her kind of like being violent because I didn't see it that way. For me, um, the portrayal of Kara in this seemed to be the most real, like the most if this were going to happen, this would be how it would happen in that for the first time, really. And, you know, not that we haven't read, you know, some other really great incarnations of Kara, but in this one, it just felt like I really understood what it would be like to just wake up thinking you've only been out for three days and years have passed and you're freaking out. Um, but you're freaking out as a, you know, you're not a child. You're, you know, you're a, you know, teenage Kryptonian um, who is about to, you know, graduate from school and go on to bigger and better things. And all of a sudden, you feel like you're being lied to at every turn and you don't know what's going on and all you want is your mom and dad and you're flipping out. Um, whereas other, you know, versions of her where we see the flipping out, it's it's from a more naive place of like, you know, oh no, I'm so like scared and oh, and, and in this one it's like, no, I need to find my parents. Like I need to go home. And it's very kind of definitive and like she has a right to be scared and kind of not trusting because the last thing she remembers is, you know, <laughs> there could be people after her and her family. Um, and Kal-El was a baby. And Kal-El was a baby. And all of a sudden this, this grown man is saying that that's Kal-El. And she's yeah, like, no, I guess, that, I guess that would be a little trippy. Um, but also I liked, like her first instinct wasn't violence. I was actually just flipping through and, uh, she thinks she's dreaming and she, mm-hmm. she, you know, she wakes up and she sees these robot looking things. And I love that she sees the robots and she says, father would love this dream. <laughs> um, cause like, I, like she's kind of like nerding out for her dad thinking like, oh man, if I could be here with my dad and these robots, that would be awesome. Um, and that's kind of her first, you know, reaction. And then as they start approaching her, you know, she's wondering why they're, you know, trying to shackle her and why they're trying to do all this stuff to her. And her powers kind of come out by accident. So she's not like attacking them with her heat vision or attacking them with with anything. It's but then as that stuff happens, you know, her heat vision comes up, then they feel threatened. So then they start mm-hmm. attacking her more and it just escalates. But it's not anybody's fault. And I kind of liked the the Kryptonian or Kryptonese, whatever we're calling it, these days. I was trying to figure that out because I think Kryptonese, this is how I interpret this whole Kryptonian versus Kryptonese thing. Kryptonese, I think, is when you're reading it, when it's like a written language. And then I guess like Kryptonian is when you speak it. I don't know. I don't know. That's, yeah, how, that's how I justify it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, and I think this book, uh, you know, it says translated from the Kryptonian, but that's because she's talking. So right. who knows? That's, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, 
but yeah, like uh, with the language, um, I thought that was a really interesting choice in that, yeah, you know, it might be convenient for the reader to have her learn English really fast or to just jump to the part where she speaks English. But that wouldn't necessarily happen right away because if you're coming to – you're waking up in this place that you don't know. You think, you know, somebody's lying to you, telling you that they're related to you when they're not. All you want to do is find your parents. You're not necessarily going to be the most rational or, you know, stop to learn English. Um, and especially when, you know, you're, you're exhibiting these powers that you can't control and didn't even know you had and people are attacking you for it. So nobody's necessarily giving her the chance to to have these powers without attacking her. So it's like, well, why should I wait around <laughs> then let myself get beat up? So, yeah, I just I, I thought that this um, was a very kind of down to earth <laughs> version of Kara in that it, it struck a balance to me between the young, hopeful character who eventually, you know, kind of realizes that she has a home on Earth. Um, but it happens on a more like realistic to me kind of timetable um, in that it takes a little bit longer. Like she's, she doesn't just automatically see Superman and think, I want to be like that guy. She's like, well, that guy made a choice, but I want to make a different choice. And she has to kind of fight her way back to, to coming to Earth. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you you said it's it's not so much childish, you know, as as some other versions that we've looked at. But I sort of thought she was. I thought she was being um, very st- was stubborn, and I think she talks about it in the book that her her father always said she was stubborn. But right. she, um, like every time Superman tries to, and I, I got a little tired of her not wanting his help or not even listening to him because like he would come up to her and be like look let me tell you I'm your cousin I, I can give you some answers if you just come with me and she's and she would dismiss him every time I don't need your answers you're a liar blah 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 and I was like if you just took five seconds to listen to this guy and maybe yeah. maybe pursue a little bit of what he's saying Maybe he can give you some answers. And I felt like she was just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I that I, I just every time she did that, I was like, You're so stupid. Why do you keep <laughs> why do you keep doing this? Because this is not helping you at all. Like I kind of just wanted to like shake her a little bit, even though I would not be able to do anything to Supergirl. <laughs> but but I just was like Ugh, just listen to him. So I, I think I got really frustrated. That's a good way to put it. I got really frustrated with this version of Kara. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely understand that. And I, I felt that too a little bit in the, the you know, scene with Superman. But I also feel like that comes from a place of like, we know that he's telling the truth. Yeah, you know? that's true. We, you know, and, and she's asking him, you know, for proof. She's a scientist's daughter. She's not just going to take anybody's word for anything. Um, but also, you know, it's her parents, really. Like, like her big concern is, where are my mom and dad? If I survive, that means they survive, too. Like, Superman is basically telling her, yeah, by the way, your planet blew up. <laughs> like, how, like, how, like if, if, you know, I woke up somewhere and somebody told me Earth blew up, I'd be like, what? Shut up. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah, um, I, I guess. But like, it's also she's on this strange place that is clearly not Krypton. And then she meets this other guy who knows about Krypton. I, I would gravitate more towards that guy and be like, oh, OK, you know where I'm from. You know about the place I'm from. OK, maybe I'll listen to you. Because like if you if you think about the Earth example or the Earth analogy, like if we woke up somewhere like if we were on Mars or somewhere we woke up when we were on Mars and we knew and there was nobody else there that knew about Earth except for one person right I would go I would go up to that person and be like what is going on so I uh, part of part of me understands that like for super for Supergirl she has no idea what is happening, and she also thinks that Kal-El was a baby a couple of days ago. So I can get the justification why she's not trusting him, but I think it, it also would have been smarter for her to be like, okay, this guy knows about my family, he knows about Krypton, something's up here and I need to pursue it. So I, I guess I just was like, listen to him. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, it's... Uh... I feel like in all the versions that we've read, she always goes through that moment of like, you know, 
I'm not going to listen to Superman. I'm not going to do what he says. And we're like, you should really do what he says. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, I think the fact that she also wants to go back to her pod is really important. Yeah, because, that, that does become important to her in the book. Yeah, because, like, uh, you know, she's like, okay, if I can just make my way back to the pod, I can figure this out. Like, she she kind of wants to go to the things that are the most familiar to her first. Mm-hmm. Um, and she figures, you know, if I go to the pod, maybe I can see, oh, why I ended up here. Maybe my parents left me a message. Maybe, you know, something else is, is going on. Um, rather than listen to this dude that says he's her baby cousin. Um, but, yeah, no, I totally get the frustration, too. Like, I mean, and she is young. Like, I'm not saying that she's oh, not. Yeah, that's true. That she doesn't have. I'm, I'm not saying she doesn't have that element of of teenageness, um, <laughs> but you know, I I also don't see it as as it it doesn't pop out as obvious to me um, that it was like youth related as it has in some other incarnations for me. That's true, and I think in regards to the pod, I think in some ways that was smart of her to do because there is an element of her knowing she can only trust herself to some degree. And so I think if she has that focus to, okay, let me go accomplish this and see if I can find answers this way. I guess I just got really annoyed with her not pursuing all options. Yeah. Um, and, and it took forever to get any kind of answer about where she, you know, where, why she was there. You know, I mean, we all, I, I can assume, okay, Zorel and Allura shipped her off to Earth because Krypton was about to explode. But it just seemed like it took forever to get to that point where we saw that message from Zorel. And I, I was just like, ah, I could have I could have used that a couple pages back. Um, yeah. but but I think in some in some ways I can understand why she would want to only trust herself. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, because there was something I did have strong feelings about in the negative direction, and that was some of the costume design. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Now, for me, the the general costume was okay, like the 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 main part of it, uh, but the cape and the boots irritated me to no end. Um, I've never been a fan of that high collar on the cape and like that boxy look on the shoulders when it's closed. Um, but really those boots, if you, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it before, look up Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton, and you'll see on the cover that she has these huge holes in her knees, um, in her boots. And I guess that's supposed to make it easier for her to like bend her knees. Um, but then why have boots that come, you know, up to your thighs? Yeah. (laughs) If you're just going to put a hole in it just so you're knee can stick out it looks horrible so yeah although what i did like about the character design was her haircut i do like the shorter hair on her um it you know looks good on her and it kind of reminded me of power girl um and it kind of you know i I like that connection as well um but yeah the shorter hair looks cute on her it looks good the the main part of the costume was was okay and i like the the new you know s shield design but the cape and the boots have to go. What do you think? <laughs> well, I agree on the boots. Uh, the I think the reason they did that was maybe to differentiate her boots from Superman's boots. I guess that was what I thought. Maybe the only would be the only reason to justify that because Superman's boots kind of come up a little bit below the knee. So maybe they didn't want her to have Superman's boots. So they tried to do something different. And it's interesting because I looked in the back of the book. And there are some uh, different character designs maybe that they tried out but they didn't go with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I kind of like some of these designs a little better. (laughs) Better, But three of them also had those boots. So they were really (laughs) determined to have those boots. No matter what it looked like up top, they were going to use those boots. Oh, yeah. And one of them had the boots where it was like it was like blue on the top part over the over the knees and red on the bottom. And I'm like, just mixing the colors just makes it look worse. Yeah, the the (laughs) color was not the problem. It was the weird design of them. Um, It's it's funny because the cape for me was the only part of the suit that I liked. (laughs) Ah. Um, I actually kind of like that the cape kind of goes around and like comes around and kind of 
ties together at the neck or like attaches at the neck. And so I think that's really cool because normally capes kind of are like hanging off the shoulders. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. Part of the, I, I sort of like the cape. It was a little different. Um, of course, I think I've expressed my dis- dislike for the red part on her lady parts. Oh, yes. And on her yes. butt. I, I don't much care for that. I think if the red went all the way around, it would be maybe different. But because it's so specifically placed on the front and the back, it mm, no, I don't care for that. Yeah. Um, and there were parts in, there were some panels in the story where like, and this is my beef with a lot of the way women are drawn in comics. Well, the reason why forever I didn't like Power Girl, why sometimes I don't like Wonder Woman or Starfire, those kinds of things where... I mean, I could see her, you know, her butt coming out of the little suit, the part of the pantsuit. And I was just like, okay, that takes me completely out of the story. Yeah. Um, some of that, I just, I just, in general, do not care for that kind of stuff. Um, and that's just kind of our personal taste. But I, I think, I think they were trying something new with this. Yeah. But uh, I don't personally think it worked. It there wasn't was, the most successful, though. No, no. I mean, there's there's a couple in the the back of the book where I mean they still tried to employ the the skirt, which was cool, and um, so I, I kind of liked those a little better. But I understand what they were trying to do, but I, I didn't personally like it. Yeah. No, and and it's funny because I I remember us talking about the uh, the big red on her lady parts, and that was before I'd really seen it. That didn't get called out to me as much uh, as I read it. I didn't like, I didn't notice it as much. But what I did notice was the fact that like the, it came really high up in her bikini area, the uh, the leotard, the super leotard that she's wearing. Um, so I was like, wow, she's going to have to wax like all the time. <laughs> it, that would be very uncomfortable. To like maintain this because like <laughs> it was really like you could see a lot of, you know, I was like, wow, this is kind of intense. Um, so that I did notice. I didn't notice butt so much, but I did notice the fact that in the front it was very – you could see a lot more than you usually can. And I was like, I don't know. The thing that cracked me up about the costume in this story is that apparently, according to Kara, the costume is something she was going to wear for her graduation. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really? This, I mean, maybe, maybe Kryptonian fashion sense and standards for clothing are completely different from Earth. But no way would I have worn anything like that to either of my graduations. Right. Well, and I think the cape might have something to do with it, too. Like, um, I think I would like the cape better if it had a hood. Like, it seems like something like that, it would be like it's designed to look more like a cloak. Mm, um, yeah. And so, like, maybe if she's not flying around, it hangs down and you kind of see less. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> so if she's, wa- if she's walking to, like, get her diploma or whatever, <laughs> she's, like, you know, covered up a little bit. Yeah, um, that's true. But, uh, yeah, I was just like, wow, then she has to be super on point with her waxing if she wants to uh, graduate. It's really gross. Anyway, um, let's get off the uh, the superficial for a moment and get back into the story because I could talk about her crappy boots all day. But I do want to talk about the world killers because I – actually, before we get to the world killers because they're really interesting. But let's let's talk a little about the uh, the first – set of challenges that she encounters uh, when she ends up getting trapped by a uh, billionaire looking to exploit her. I thought that was really interesting because it's, uh, I mean, not to get too DC Marvel, but it kind of reminded me of like the Roxanne Corporation in in Marvel where they're like just looking to to make money off of anything that they find in space. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, this guy kind of latches on to her to try to like, you know, weaponize everything about her from from, you know, her herself to her costume and how it's indestructible. And he's talking about, you know, figuring out how to make dish towels out of this and like, <laughs> you know, various other products that you can make money off of, of. And I was like, wow, that is really kind of that kind of says it all as far as, you know, where we are um, as a society where like, you know, you meet an alien and the first thing isn't, oh, hey, it's cool. It's an alien. Or, you know, even, you know, oh my goodness, we have to worry about this, but how can we make money off it? <laughs> right. Um, that's like the first concern. What, uh, what did you think about that part of the story? He, that guy, um, what was his name? It's Tycho, Simon Tycho. Simon Tycho. So 
that Simon Tycho guy reminded me a lot of Lex Luthor. Um, just in the way that he was obsessive about the alien and how he seemed to be this very wealthy man who thought he could do what he wanted to uh, with her. And it just, it gave me a lot of Lex Luthor vibes. So I thought he was kind of a, you know, a, a poor man's Lex. Um, but I, I do appreciate that, you know, she was in a position where she kind of had to fight for herself because there was this guy trying to take advantage of her. And this is kind of her, her first kind of real attempt to stand up for herself. And so I, that's, I liked that aspect of it. Yeah. And I kind of, uh, this is one of the, uh, you know, I thought this part of the storyline was much weaker than the world care, wor- yeah, world killers uh, storyline. Um, but it did give, give her an opportunity to be able to practice with her powers. Um, Cause as she's getting to know them, she realizes what she can do and she's using that to, you know, escape this place. Um, as she learns that like she can generate heat and she can, you know, use her heat vision and fly and, you know, burst through walls. Um, she's kind of figuring it out as she goes along. So this, luckily for her, this guy is trying to trap her so she can kind of practice before she, you know, gets into a city situation. Um, so I felt like it was kind of a bit, deus ex machina you know like yeah like we have to give her like a playground so she can work all this stuff out and then she can go to earth and have powers but i have to say i did kind of like the brain i did too actually <laughs> i was about to say the only real thing about that i really liked was that really interesting villain that got put in her path that she had to fight because he was weird like i don't even know like she would try to punch him and it would just kind of go into nothing like that seemed that seemed like a really tough villain to fight and then it was creepy how you know when she ends up you know blowing up the the station and uh taiko gets you know really really hurt he ends up being just a torso and a head yeah and his scientists end up you know rescuing him and kind of combining his what's left of his body with part of that gooey brain body. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty creepy. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, like what? I'm, I'm kind of more fascinated by what he could turn into than I am in him originally. Like, cause originally he's just like a dude out to make money. Great. Yeah. yeah. But like now he's just like, he's just a torso <laughs> and a clear jelly body. What is he? And with like one eye, what is he going to do? And he seemed to enjoy it. I don't yeah. know if, if maybe it was because he was glad to be alive somehow, but he seemed to be okay with what has happened to him. <laughs> yeah, and, and he was, like, totally concerned with um, having had a drop of her blood because um, now he, I guess, is going to, you know, take that drop of blood and study it and figure out what makes Supergirl tick. But, yeah, I'm like, dude, you're a torso. You have bigger problems than worrying about Supergirl. But he doesn't um, care. He says, I win. I know. <laughs> He's very excited about it. Such a weirdo. Okay, so moving right along, let's talk about the world killers. Um, Because Rain, I think, is really, really interesting to me. Um, And I think I'm a fan of, like, seeing kind of the dark side of stuff or, you know, uh, not necessarily that it's dark, but that every time you create something that's supposed to be a solution, like, five other problems come up. Yeah. and that seems to be what the world killers have become. Um, if they were indeed created by Kryptonian technology, gone awry. And now here they are trying to find answers to, to their origins the way Supergirl is, except they're not like Supergirl because she's actually trying to find answers and they're trying to take stuff over as they look for answers um, and destroy worlds because that's what they were supposedly created for. Right. Um, what do you think about that whole Uh, story yeah i really liked the aspect of the world killers like when i was reading it i I kept thinking you know this would be really cool to see on the cbs series like i would Mm. i would be down for that because if if they're going to introduce aliens that car has to fight you know through the deo on the series the world killers i think could show up i mean they they would be good candidates for that and i think it was really interesting like you were talking about how they had ties to Krypton. They were kind of Kryptonian technology gone awry. And I I thought it was really creepy when you see them as like the baby world killers 
there are these little fetuses or whatever. That was really creepy. I know. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought it was cool that they, um, they were all kind of different. Like, even though their names are the world killers, each one was sort of different in the different powers they had in, in their names. Like, there's Rain and, I guess, Diamax, uh, some creature called Flower of Heaven and Perilous. Yeah. And, um, they all kind of look different. Like, one sort of looks like a panther and a dog had a baby and then one has this <laughs> one of them's look, kind of like a dragony thing yeah, like a like a dragon meets an alligator or something um so they all sort of look different and i thought that was kind of cool that they might have all been world killers but they all had these different personalities and these different appearances and rain in particular i thought she was a great kind of villain in some regards even though she's kind of it, it was sort of reminded me of man of steel and the kryptonians where they're sort of bred to be what they are mm-hmm. um but rain man she really roughs up new york city i mean yeah. <laughs> just roughs it up and she and supergirl have this big throwdown fight and i was laughing because once again a kryptonian fighting a kryptonian element somebody gets thrown through a building several yeah. buildings you know, no, nobody complains about it until it's a Man of Steel. But that happened. And uh, I, I thought their fight was really interesting. And I think, like you said, the fact that they were they were all looking for answers was kind of a cool parallel to their characters. Yeah, actually, it's it's interesting because I'm, I'm looking right now at the uh, during that fight, one of them goes underground and pulls up a subway car and you see that there's people on it like <laughs> uh, the the. You know, the one that looks like the panther and the, you know, dog had a baby and maybe a walrus. Um, <laughs> yeah, I see the walrus teeth, yeah. <laughs> um, he goes underground and pulls up the subway car with people on it. And he goes, I found this underground, more below, strange city. And he throws it and Kara catches it because yeah. um, she sees that there's people on there and she catches it. So um, there is that sense of, you know, trying to mitigate the the you know, loss of life. Right. Um, but yeah, you get thrown through a building. There's, there's not much you can do about that. Yeah. And um, I think maybe that's also part of why I couldn't connect with this version of Supergirl as much, because this was kind of only, I don't want to say her only heroic act, but I, I kind of think it was like, even when she's on Tycho's, um, like ship up in space, th- when that guy dies, she doesn't save him. And I don't even remember if I if I'm remembering it correctly, but I don't even think she like moves to try to stop him from being shot. Like she's indestructible and she doesn't prevent him from getting shot. And so I, I guess that's maybe part of it. Maybe if she, if I had seen her do more heroic acts like that, then maybe I would have been on her side more. But um, but yeah, at least in this instance in New York City, she does try to you know look out for other people, and she's you know, trying to fight the bad guys, but still trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, and and that scene with the, you know, when that guy gets shot, um, you know, she's still weak. He's carrying her to safety, and then somebody just comes out and shoots him. I don't think it's like a situation where she could have. She could have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they, they just kind of show up, and, you know, there's there's no reason to think that he's going to get shot until he gets shot. But yeah, I mean, I, I get that. It's it's hard with this story because it's this very – I mean, this is total origin story. And I think it, it might be frustrating for a lot of readers like that this whole trade is basically it's, – it's pure origin in that it's, it's, it's slow. Mm. It's, uh, it's very like kind of deliberately paced. Um, and I, I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people will – if they read this and haven't already um, would feel the way you do in that, you know, you don't really see Supergirl being Supergirl enough. Um, And I totally get that. Um, I think I liked this only because like, to me, it's, it's interesting to see Supergirl go through that. And I think it's, it it was done in a way that uh, it was less successfully done in other trades that we've read. Um, but here it feels like, oh, wow, if there actually were a Kara Zor-El in life, um, this might be how she experiences this. 
but that's just me. And as far as the the rain in the world killers, I I agree. I would love to see them on the uh, on the CBS show. And yeah, CBS has a way bigger budget than the CW. I would imagine. So <laughs> if if anybody could pull off um, having the world killers on and looking the way they do in the comic, I mean, put that two and a half men money to good use and uh, <laughs> get, get that makeup going for uh, for these characters because I think it would be a really interesting arc. Yeah, the world killers were new to me. I don't know if they have any history in, in, in comic lore, but uh, I, I thought it was a cool addition to Supergirl's story. Yeah, actually, if anybody has any, you know, if, if anybody knows, uh, if the world killers have any other history in Supergirl or Superman comics and wants to let us know about it, definitely hit us up because... Um, they're an interesting group, and uh, I, I personally would like to read, you know, more with them in it. Okay, so overall thoughts. Let's wrap this up. Um, Rebecca, overall best parts and worst parts of the trade, and I know you think there are more worst parts, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I, and, and I appreciate listening to your thoughts on it because it, it gives me something else to, to chew on. Um, I did like some of the familiar elements of the story. Like I, I liked seeing that, you know, cause we've discovered over the course of Supergirl radio that there are some things about Supergirl's story that changes um, depending on her relationship to Superman, her name, even uh, her secret identities, those kinds of things. There's some, some things you can play with, but uh, I liked that Kara was Cal's cousin and, you know, seeing Zorel communicating through a sunstone and being murdered. We've seen that before. Um, mm-hmm. and that she had a connection to Argo City. So I liked those familiar elements. Those were the things that kind of, I was like, okay, even if I'm not big on this Supergirl, those are elements that I can attach myself to with this version of Supergirl. Um, and like I said, love the world killers. Um, I thought Rain was very intimidating and uh, was somebody good to kind of go up against. And she was a physical villain. She wasn't just like, you know, one of those villains that sort of just... It's just around doing things, you know, or, or manipulating her or whatever. Like, they were physical. They were getting yeah. into it. And um, I think that that was a, a, a neat thing for me to learn about, the world killers. Um, so there were things I liked about the story. I, I, I think my biggest problem with this version is that I saw a lot of the same kind of elements in Jeff Loeb's story. So in some ways I thought it was kind of a retread, but, and they did some different things, but I was like, I don't even know why this needed to happen because it's not all that different. But in terms of looking at, you know, an introduction to the new 52 version of it, I, I, I was glad that I read it. So I would at least know about her. Yeah, I think I uh, I totally get, like, this version of Supergirl is not going to be for everybody. Um, I don't think any version of Supergirl really is, except maybe for Sterling Gates' version, that, which I think we, we all kind of agree is, Universally like, loved. Universally loved, except by that one person who's a jerk. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there's always one. There's always one. No, but um, – so this isn't going to be for everybody, but – I think it's an interesting read for, you know, if you're like me, you might find the fact that it is a a slower story as far as an origin. Like she just she doesn't jump into I have powers now. Let's do this. Like it, it's it. I liked the fact that it was she had to wrestle with it a lot more. Um, the first half of the of the trade seemed very uh, the story wasn't great. Like I wasn't thrilled with the whole I I got kidnapped and put on a space station to have to fight my way out because that you know it just wasn't interesting although you did get to see her play with her powers but uh the second part with the world killers i thought was great um i agree with you that rain is a is an awesome character and what i love about her is that she's not just a villain she actually you know tries to ally herself with supergirl as a kryptonian that's true um they you know she Really, she makes an offer first and is like, hey, come with me. We'll, we'll find stuff together. It's just that the way she wants to find stuff is by, you know, terrorizing people and, and destroying worlds. But, you know, she wants Supergirl to be on her side for that. And so when Supergirl doesn't seem to, to want to, you know, do things that way, that's when she gets, you know. But there, there's like kind of a, a begrudging respect between well, not between them, because I don't think Supergirl respects her all that much. But on the part of Rain, like, she seems to kind of hold Supergirl in, like, high esteem. And she's like, oh, if only you'd see the light, you could really be something. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, so not for everybody, but, you know, I liked it. I thought it was an interesting take on the character. And yeah, if you're you're interested in kind of seeing where Supergirl is now, um, it definitely would be the place to to jump on um, to kind of see how the character, you know, has evolved and where she's ended up uh, in the current or the most current uh, issues. And I think that uh, wraps up our discussion for this week's uh, topic, which was Supergirl Volume 1, Last Daughter of Krypton. You can pick that up at your local comic shop. And uh, let's get into some listener feedback. We got an email from Ange who writes, quote, Had to drop a line about many happy returns as, as it is one of my favorite Supergirl stories of all time. This, is, this has to be placed in the context of time. The sales for this Supergirl title were slipping. The quasi-religious bent of the book wasn't 100% accepted. And Dan DiDio was rising to power at DC. And he wanted to bring back the simple Superman's cousin origin to Supergirl, avoiding the protoplasm from another universe with psychokinetic powers who merged with a Satan-worshipping teen and became an angel version. (laughs) Definitely two different versions. Um, and Ange goes on to say the Linda Danvers Supergirl was almost a tragic figure when you read this series she's really put through the emotional ringer dealing with Linda's sketchy background trying to be good learning to be a hero getting too proud at one point and possibly leading to the death of a phony faith healer and finally getting redemption this was a Linda who never really knew if she was good never knew if she was worthy of the S shield she rarely seemed pleased and happy with her life so why not contrast this murkier Supergirl by bringing in the truly Silver Age Kara, the bright, sweet, optimistic young girl? Yes, David makes her over the top in her naivety. Naivety. Say it again. Naivety. But if you read those early, early stories in action, this is exactly how she acted. She was this innocent. Then Linda finally gets some happiness when she enters the pre-crisis world. She falls in love, marries, and becomes a mother. And just like that, David pulls the rug out from under her. She has to make the right choice even though it is unbelievably difficult. And true to her character, she does do the right thing, as sad as that was. That is why that end letter she writes to Clark is so powerful. Her adventures have burned her out. She still might be a hero, but she has a burned-out husk for a soul. That's a really good way to put it, Ange. Ange continues saying, it wasn't a happy ending. It might not be the ending I wanted, but it was the ending this series needed. It completed Linda's story, sort of. If you want more Linda, you should seek out Fallen Angel, David's series, which went from DC to IDW. So um, thanks for all that background information, Ange. Uh, It was really good to hear from somebody who, like Kat, um, last time I considered this one of her favorite Supergirl stories. So thanks for that info. Definitely. And, and thank you for the recommendation of Fallen Angel because I had no idea that there was an IDW series that, you know, dealt with Linda at all. So that's very cool. And I'm going to go check that out. Um, we also got an email from Stephen who writes, quote, in the latest casting news, I see the star of the new Pan movie, Levi Miller, uh, will be starring as Cat Grant's son, And in the episode description, Kara has to watch him for a day. Quite concerned about this because something like this has been done so many times on TV episodes. That the hero watches the boss's child, they get in trouble, she saves him, and he learns her secret. Think that gimmick is old and corny and will annoy fans. Uh, In The Flash and Arrow, they haven't had a plot where the hero looks after a child. Um, what, What do you think about that, Rebecca? Well, I would disagree with you, Stephen, because Arrow actually had an episode that was sort of like this, as it is described, and that was from season one in an episode called Home Invasion, which I think is one of the better episodes of Arrow, and that in that episode, Laurel sort of takes in this little kid whose parents have been murdered, and she was, like, trying to uh, protect them legally, and they ended up getting murdered, and so she took him in, and um, in that episode... Oliver, not, not only do Laurel and Tommy kind of take care of this kid, but Oliver steps in and tries to do what he can to make sure that the, the kid is okay. And it's probably the only time, really, that I really, really loved Stephen Amell's Oliver Queen. I have lots of issues with him now, 
But that episode in season one, I think personally is his best episode um, just because he is looking after a kid and kind of looking after, you know, it's not specifically with Arrow. It's a lot of, oh, I'm going to beat up criminals in the street. But this uh, this episode, Home Invasion, where he was actually kind of looking out for somebody else and kind of protecting the weak. And that's a kind of superhero that I'm drawn to. And I would love to see an episode of Supergirl where that is the case, where she's kind of connecting to Cat Grant's son. And I even when I read your email, Stephen, it sort of reminded me of that Sister Act comic in the TV guide, the special um, San Diego Comic-Con TV guide issue. Oh, yeah, that we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Because Supergirl kind of makes this connection with this little girl whose sister um, has gone away and she's waiting for her sister to come back. And that in that comic, I was like, oh, if this if this happens on the show, I think that will make people fall in love with Melissa Benoist as Supergirl because I think those are the kind of moments that you just you see them as heroes. And so I actually am really excited about this episode with Supergirl and Cat Grant's son. I also have you know no concerns about that storyline. Um, I mean, I think there's always you know some sort of a a child element uh, in in superhero stuff just to kind of. Um, soften the superhero a bit, whoever it is. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, that um, that usually does tend to fall to female superheroes. Um, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. I feel like, you know, women do have a certain kind of experience, you know, with children and there's an expectation that they, you know, will know how to take care of them. And, and, and kind of using that to tell a story can be a good thing. But it's also interesting that, you know, in that episode of Arrow, it's primarily Laurel who's dealing with the kid. And then Oliver, you know, does too to a certain extent. And we get to see his softer side and mm-hmm. and that's great. But it's like it's it's it started with Laurel first. And, you know, now with, with Supergirl, like, of course, you know, she's going to be watching the kid because, you know, well, I don't know if, if Kat would ever have a male secretary or a male assistant. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting. And I'm not I'm not concerned about that. Um, but, you know, hopefully it won't be, you know, hopefully they'll do it in a new way. That's the thing. There's plenty of story elements that get done over and over, but like they get done over and over for a reason. And if it's done right, I think it can be a strength. Um, so hopefully it won't be as corny and, you know, as old as <laughs> as you are worried about, Stephen. Yeah, I think it can only be a good thing. And I think it's going to be cool to see Kara interact with Kat's family. So I think that'll be a, a, a cool element that goes between Kara and Kat, not just with her son, but Kara and Kat. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, well, our next email comes from Mike Pasqua, who writes, quote, you mentioned the marketing of Supergirl and why they do not market specifically to females. I would like to point out that in the late 1980s, there was a spinoff of the original He-Man series called She-Ra Princess of Power. They tried to market it to females and it did not work. Only the male comic fans bought the toys, unquote. And um, Mike, I actually grew up watching He-Man and She-Ra, and even I, I sort of remember having some of the toys. I actually have a, a, a She-Ra that my mom found at her house while she's going through some stuff, and I was like, oh, I will take that home with me. Um, but I couldn't remember about the marketing campaign when I was a kid, because, well, I was a kid and I didn't pay attention to stuff like that. So I Googled about this issue, and of course, Google pointed me to mentalfloss.com. They actually talked about that toy line you mentioned, and the article said, quote, despite being an offshoot of the hyper-masculine He-Man line, She-Ra was officially described as a fashion action doll by Mattel, a strange amalgamation of sword fighting and hair combing. Oh, God. That left stores (laughs) with the dilemma of whether to place her near her Barbie brethren or among the testosterone-laced aisles of action figures. While some stores situated her adjacent to He-Man, Sears put her next to dolls in their catalog. Others split the difference and stocked her in both departments, end quote. So I think it's really interesting that it's not necessarily that they um, marketed it to females and it didn't work. I think it was they marketed it to females and then the stores didn't know what to do with it. They didn't have a, a specific focus on how to put it in. And location in a store is very important. My brother was actually a magazine um, publisher for a little while. And when we would go to grocery stores, he would go down to the magazine section and see where they were putting his magazine in that grocery store. And sometimes he would like 
take some magazines and put them in the back and put his magazine in the front so that people <laughs> would see it. So the location in a store is actually very important because it will draw the attention of the people who are shopping. And so I think that was just an unfortunate aspect of that situation is that stores didn't know what to do with them. Well, and, and that's, and it's interesting that you, I'm, I'm glad you, you did that uh, research um, going back to that. Cause I only have my, you know, cause, cause like you said, I was a little kid. I wasn't looking into marketing campaigns. I just knew that I watched Shira. I wanted the dolls. I brought her home with me. Um, I had all the toys. I had the, you know, Swiftwind, the Panther, I had everything. And what you say about, uh, you know, the stores not knowing whether to put her next to He-Man or whether to put her in the Barbie aisle, um, it says a lot about not even necessarily how Mattel or how, um, you know, a show markets their stuff, but it's also how we receive it. Because the toy company could have been marketing it to girls, but then the store says, yeah, but you're telling me this is for girls, but she has a sword. So clearly she can't be for girls because she has a sword. So we're going to put her over here by He-Man. Or, you know, it's like we don't know what to do with her. It's like, well, if they tell you it's a girl's toy, put it with the girl's toys, even if it has a sword. Because, you know, some girl characters use swords for various things. Um, But also that's why I'm so thrilled that like Target, for example, has decided to not have their toy sections or their children's sections uh, separated by gender. Mm -hmm. Um, So now all the toys are in one place. It's just the toy section. And, you know, any kid can go in and find whatever toy they want and they don't have to worry about, oh, I can't go down that aisle because that's where all the boy toys are. I can't go down that aisle because it's the girls toys. It's like if you like a character, you find that character, you take it home. Well, and I think uh, turning it to a a TV CBS kind of thing, I think it's really interesting that CBS, like, you know, we were talking about how, like, Mattel wasn't very specific on how they wanted the toys from the the Shira line to be displayed. Well, I think CBS is being very specific on what they want to do. They they seem to have a strategy, and they're going after that target audience gung-ho, super hard. Um, I think, you know, they're trying to make it so that the general audience will like Supergirl. But I think they're also going out there and saying, hey, we would love it if mothers and daughters were watching this show. You yeah. Know, they've gone out and they had that that Supergirl screening with um, all those little girls. And then, you know, Melissa Benoist is hanging out with the Supergirl Scouts of Oklahoma. And so I think they were really trying to be specific uh, to to a demographic of of females. And I I think sometimes you have to do that. You have to say, okay, this is the target audience I want to reach and let's do things that we can to get to that target audience. So I think there is a strategy in play and we'll see if it works or not, but I I think at least it's good that the CBS has a strategy. Yeah. And, and, and it's a smart one because, you know, I, I always find it interesting when, you know, they think that, Marketing, like you talk about marketing in terms of like the demographic and how it's, you know, males age 18 to to 50 or whatever the demographic is that's like all important for comic book stuff. And it's like, but, you know, like uh, as far as women who play video games, who play, who, you know, you read comics and stuff, the percentages are higher than than people think. And there are more women than men on the planet. So you'd think it'd be a smart business decision to market to more of the people. (laughs) Um, cause they're the ones not only, um, you know, there's not only more of us, but we're also generally the ones that are making the decisions about spending. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, and, you know, going back to the thing I said before about how teenage girls generally like kind of shape what's popular, um, and it works its way up. So like teenage girls gravitate towards something. Everybody's like, oh, that's silly. And then two years later, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. So yeah, girls and women have a powerful voice as far as like what gets made and what gets done. And it would be foolish to not cater to that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you even see that in movies like Bridesmaids and Pitch Perfect, like Pitch Perfect made a lot of money because women don't get a lot of movies catered to us. We don't, we don't get a lot of movies that say, Hey, come, this is your thing. I know this is for you. Yeah. So, so I think there is a strategy that can, that can pay off if it gets employed in the right ways. Well, now we've gotten to our last email, uh, comes from a listener named Manic Spike, 
who writes, quote, I've been listening to the reviews you've been doing of the animated series, which I've enjoyed a lot. I was just curious if you were going to ever review the Lost Daughter of Krypton audio drama. I understand if you won't because it's no longer around to find and it may have suddenly ended because of intervention by DC. I was just curious because it was a show I ended up really enjoying and was very upset when it suddenly vanished, end quote. Um, honestly, I didn't even know that such a thing existed. Uh, did you, Rebecca? I did not. And I tried to find it online, but it, it does look like there are traces of it online, but you can't actually play the audio. So I think Manic Spike is correct that something must have pulled all of those files off. So it, I would love to hear it. Um, so if anybody knows where we can, you know, find a copy or, you know, or can go somewhere to listen to it. I mean, we would love to talk about it, um, but it, it doesn't look like it's available. Yeah, no, it sounds really cool. I wish it were. Well, um, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, like all those listeners did, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've got time, we encourage you to give us a review, uh, give us a rating and write us a review. Um, and thanks so much to Hal Jordan underscore GL for your iTunes review. And we are a part of the DC TV podcast circle. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, and the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow, subscribe to our DC TV podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. And as for me, you can always find me over at the Mary Sue. That's the Mary Sue.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Teresa Giacino. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, with the same name as my blog, facebook.com slash Teresa Giacino Experience. And you can also find me on Patreon. Um, I'm hoping to uh, get some more original work out there, some, some new stories and some other projects going on. So if you'd like to check that out and uh, support my endeavors there, you can visit patreon.com slash Teresa Giacino. That's very cool. And you can follow me on Twitter at DerbyKid, that's D-E-R-B-Y-K-I-D, and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. That's D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D. And until next time, I'm still Teresa Giacino. And I'm still Rebecca Johnson. There's only one thing you need to know about combat. When you get knocked down, you should get back up. <laughs> <laughs>